How many of y'all are glad to be in church today? Anybody? I see everybody survived the snow and the ice and everything, right? Well, good to have you today. So uh, let's get ready for praise and worship this morning. But I'll tell you what. I hope you're always excited to come to church. Church, church should never be a chore. Uh, I got to go to church today. You know, I hope it's never like that. I hope you always are excited to come to church. Not only because of what we are in the presence of God, but who we are together. Amen. A family of faith, loving, in this together, growing together, helping one another. Amen. Amen. So, kids are on with us for worship today. So, let's uh, open up with our, our creed video, then spend some time in worship together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
uh, you can dismiss your children downstairs. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you here. I'm glad to see all of you. And uh, live streamers, by the way, if you're on live stream, jump on and say hello. Kind of, kind of wave on there. If you have a prayer request, go ahead and put it on there. We'll pray for those after service today. But it's good to have you here in the house too. And uh, I believe, I believe when we're together, the Holy Spirit is with us. Do you believe that too? How I many all believe that? When we gather together, God is with us, and he's manifesting his presence. And, and if that is the case, then, then what is not possible? Amen. Amen. God can do anything, and we believe that, and we stand in that. Amen. So tithe and offering uh, this morning. Uh, I'm going to have um, Miss Tori come up and take up offering today. So come on up, Tori. All righty, so here, let me move my Bible here. There you go. All right, well, have at it. Good morning, everybody. I hope
Tori, good job. Bring it on down if you have something today. That was a good word. Good, good, good job. All right. So as you're bringing up this morning, some quick announcements. Uh, don't forget, this Friday night is the kickoff of our two Fridays of marriage nights. So we're looking forward to that, 7 to 9 each night, child care provided. Um, if you haven't signed up yet, please sign up. That way we're prepped for uh, the number of people that will be here. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I know today after church we're going over to shoot a video. They're going to sh show at the, the Botkins campus uh, marriage night that they're having So, because we're going to be here and not there. But anyway, so we're looking forward to it and starting to prep for that. If you have questions about it, please see me. Uh, also, don't forget that Revelation, the book of Revelation is where we're at on Wednesday nights. And uh, we kicked it off this past Wednesday, laying some foundation. We're going to continue that on Wednesday night. I know somebody did ask me a question about uh, the difference, again, between foretelling and, and foretelling. So I'm going to go back over that a little bit Wednesday. But uh, we're laying a good foundation about the book of Revelation. So we'll be there for the next month, maybe a little bit longer. Um, let's see. Prayer Monday night from 6 to 7 right here. Don't forget about that. And uh, last but not least is uh, we're at the place where we're able to expand our kids' church. Amen. Amen. So, but in order to expand our kids' church, we need more volunteers. Amen. So if the Lord has dropped on your heart to be a part of our kids' church team, that's either in, in what we consider the main class or the nursery, either one. There's a sign-up sheet at the back there. Please sign your name up, or you can ask me questions, or Miss Kenzie. So either one of us, and we can help you out. So we're looking for uh, the ability to have at least at base level two people in each room. That way we're covered for all the things that we need to do in those classrooms. So I'm excited about that. I hope you are too. So if the Lord dropped that upon your heart, please sign up. And it's, it's a once-time-a-month, one-service-a-month commitment. That's it. So anyhow, having said that, if you got your Bibles, get them out. We're starting a brand new series today entitled The Neighborhood. Now, go to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to go to verse 29 in just a minute. I know we got Mr. Christian on the computer, and he's going to have a lot of work today back there with our verses, so I hope he's ready. Thumbs up, Christian. Yeah, he, he does a great job. I appreciate him. Um, now, Luke chapter 10, verse 29, but before we go there... Let me just say this. Today we're kicking off 21 days of a challenge of a Sermon on the Mount. Today. February the 6th, 21 days all the way through February 27th. I'm challenging each you each day to read Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Okay? Uh, there's some reasons for that. And, and in, a, in a backdoor kind of way, it goes in with the series that I'm talking about. Because the Sermon on the Mount is the longest continual teaching that we have in Scripture that Jesus did. So, so he, he saw uh, those that gathered together, and he started teaching, and he starts with the Beatitudes, and, and so forth and down through, all the way to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, and, and if you hear the words that I'm saying, paraphrase, it's like a wise man building a house on a rock. How many of you desire to build your house on a rock. Now, not on the this, this sifting sand. When the winds come and the, and the waves crash, that, that your spiritual house would fall, but solid on its foundation. The solid foundation that Jesus is talking about is what he said in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. 
Now, I understand we can take that and use it in different ways, but in its context, building your house on the rock is building your life on what he said in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So the challenge is over the next 21 days, to read it, it may be what you do for your time in Scripture, it may be in addition to it, but I, but I encourage you to do so. And in a, in a certain way, it ties in with the attitude of what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. So the neighborhood is our series today. Um, we are going to close service out today with communion together. But Luke chapter 10 and verse number 29, let's just read one verse and then that we're going to come back to this chapter next week, actually. But he, this, this, this person that was questioning Jesus, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Here's a question. We're going to be addressing this question over the next three weeks in some different ways. Who is my neighbor? Now, notice uh, right away you can see that the person that's asking this question kind of wanted to get out from what Jesus was saying. Again, this is something we bring up so often is uh, we, we got to quit making excuses for why we don't have to listen to what Jesus said in certain contexts of our life. Tell me you know what I'm talking about. That's what this person wanted to do. Uh, he answered the question correctly. Then, then Jesus starts saying what he says, and, well, who is my neighbor? Well, what comes from this is, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we're going to jump into that parable next week. So I want to deal with, over the next month here, who is my neighbor? And what question that really brings with that is, who do I really need to love? Now, the word love is the key linchpin of the Christian faith. You can't talk about who my neighbor is, and why they're asking a question, lest we deal with the fact of, well, what is love? And what is the requirement of the Christian when it comes to love? So go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Now, now understand that what we're going to be talking about today is, I would say, be considered basic things. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. But I think often, if, if we don't consistently talk about the things which are most important, which often would be considered the most basic things, we get off out into things that, that uh, take our attention away from, again, the most important thing. What we're about to talk about is the most important thing. Okay. It is basic, but it is the absolute most important thing. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Um, I'm sorry. Let's see. Yeah, okay, I found it. I was looking at the wrong verse myself. I apologize. All right. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, so in other words, somebody that knew what he was talking about, Asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Or what, what we have been given by God as Jewish people to live by, to, to create a, a just and proper worshiping people. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Okay, that is the key to the whole thing right there. It is the most important thing. It is great, and it is numero uno. It's first. That we must be a people who learn to grow in our love for who? God. We have the ability to do this because what? He first loved us. So God sets the tone about what love is about, what it is, and, and how, it, how it is lived, and how it works, and what it produces. And our job as the Christian is to learn not only to receive his love, which is hard for some people, by the way. We must learn how to receive his love, allow it to change us, then transform how we live. We receive it, allow it to transform us, then in turn it changes how we live. Because notice what Jesus says. He doesn't stop right there. He said, and the second is like it. In other words, they're tied together. They go together. You don't do one without the other. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. In other words, all the things that, that came before lead up to these two things, loving God and loving neighbor. Now, now who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets? Jesus. And the one who fulfills the law and the prophets tells you, now this is how it works. The fulfillment of all these things is centered around this word that's an action called love. That we must learn to love God with everything that we are, everything that we have. And in turn, will teach us how to love our neighbor as we should. And that brought up the question then, as we read earlier, well, who is my neighbor? Because we want to justify who we really have to love. We, we, we want to say, I don't know about this person or, or I think sometimes this group of people. I'm not sure about that situation or how am I supposed to respond when, when this happens. And Jesus is setting us up and saying, the base level for the Christian life, how we approach all things, it's through the lens of a God love that we have received, we learn, changes us, then this is how we live. It's the key to the whole thing. So God so loved the what? This, this planet that is a big, giant mess. But God loved it. See, the action of Jesus coming, the one who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, who in his life starts to teach us, say, now the greatest thing that you can do is, is, is to love God and love neighbor. The, what, what brought him here was love itself because God is love. It's the key to the whole thing. See, see the law and the prophets hang on it. In other words, see, when God calls Abram and out, he begins to, to form a people for himself, okay? In the midst of his lost and dying world, he calls Abram out to begin to form a people for himself, a people that worship properly, that act justly among themselves and towards people, 
In other words, he's trying to show them a better way, but it's only the process to get to the way. We didn't stop with the law and the prophets. Amen. The law and the prophets brought us who? Jesus. Jesus fulfills them. And now Jesus, in who he is, and the Son of God fulfilling the law and the prophets, he then sets the tone for how we are to live. And it's right here that we learn, that we grow, that we change in the people that love God with all of our being, every part of who we are. We learn to do that. And that will transform us into a people then who love others properly. You can't love other people properly without learning how to love God first. You, you can try. You can be a good person. Uh, I, I, I know a lot of good people who aren't Christians. How many know what I'm talking about? But the fullness of how we are to be as a just people in this world comes because right relationship with God teaches us right relationship with other people. Growing relationship with God teaches us how to grow in right relationship with other people. All the relationships of your life need to be modeled in the fact that you're growing in love with God. He's, he's showing you. He's changing you. He's teaching you. He's forming you. He's molding you. So how you deal with other people will be entirely based upon who he is and what his love is. And that, that will change everything about you. So go to Luke chapter 10, verse 25, right, right back before where we started. And we're not going to get into the, to this whole thing, but just going back to why that came up. Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> In verse 25. And behold, the lawyers, always the lawyers, right? A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law, or how do you read it? And he answered, Again, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, with all your strength, with all your mind, and, <coughs> excuse me, your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. <clears throat> what is the way of living eternal life? Loving. Now, now, sometimes we, we, we make it complicated, and, and we end up with a list of rules, right? Well, the Bible says you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Amen. But then, if you have a life to live after that moment, which you all do right now, you're here alive, breathing, right? You're living a life after the fact that at some point you called on the name of the Lord to be saved. A life to live is based on love. And Jesus said, if you want to inherit eternal life, learn how to love right. Because if you learn how to love right, by the way, it will take care of all these big lists of what not to do in sin. Think about that. <clears throat> when you love right, it's hard to sin. So let me give you an example. How many know that adultery is a sin? The Bible says it. It's on the list. 
But if I love my wife the way I should, I will not commit adultery. How many know that as you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, murder sin, but even so far as name-calling, calling somebody a fool is not right in the kingdom. You know, if I love my neighbor right, I won't be a name-caller to put him down and categorize him. Loving my neighbor will stop me from doing it, even if I didn't know, even if I did not know that that was a sin. You see what I'm getting at? When you learn to love right, you may not know the rest of all this stuff that's right and wrong, but just by loving properly, you'll keep yourself from sin. So what must I do to inherit eternal life? Learn how to love right. It'll clean up a lot of things in your life. Is that correct? So that's why it's the fulfillment of the law of the prophets. So that's why this, this lawyer, this person said, well, what must I do? Jesus tells him, you know, and he gets him to answer, and he actually answers correctly. Then he goes, well, wait a second. But who is my neighbor? Because we want to justify moments where I don't have to love like God loves. Always a reason why I don't have to respond the way Jesus would respond. You know, um, <coughs> excuse me. Back when I first started in ministry, <clears throat> there was something that came up that, that got a lot of airplay in the church, and in all segments of the church, by the way. And I've been seeing it <clears throat> popping up again recently, and a lot of chatter about this. Is to do with this right here. Well, do I really need to be like Jesus always? Like, isn't there times I can be David instead? Can, can, can I lay down this whole love and turning the other cheek and pick up my cross and, and lay and I'm going to go over and pick up my sling for a minute. You see what I'm saying? There's this chatter like this. <clears throat> Here's what I know. Let me just say something about this. At no time in the scriptures did it tell you to be David-like. The Bible tells us to be Christ-like. And how you end up nuancing that in your life, you need to nuance it out because our response always needs to be to be like Jesus. That is the kingdom of God. If you want the kingdom of David, you can go get that, but eventually that runs out because David can't save your sins. David didn't die on the cross. David didn't raise himself from the dead. David's not coming in the future glory to judge the kingdoms of the world. I mean, what I'm talking about. Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the... If, if David or any other person you want to pick up in that place, if, if they fulfilled it, we would not have needed Jesus. And thankfully, Jesus not only lived what he lived and taught what he taught, because all those things were wrapped up in what he did on the cross. See what I'm saying? So to be like Jesus, we have to not only say we follow Jesus, but we have to believe in the things that he said. That can be hard. It can be hard. But do we really believe in what he says? To have eternal life, you've got to learn how to love right. Do we believe that? 
I mean, but, but now, now we're in church, we say that. Amen. Preach it, pastor. I'm on board with you. We're on board until we get back out in society. And now I got to live like, and you're like, oh, I don't know. Lord, Lord, why don't you just pay attention to the other side of the cosmos? I need to be like David for a second. You see what I'm getting at? We got to believe in what he said, not just believe in him. Because once you can, now remember, remember we talked about this at Christmas. Once you confess him as your Lord and King, does he then form the way that you live? He's your Savior, you're forgiven, but what about Lord and King? Does he show you what it means to live in the kingdom? That's extremely important. Romans chapter number 13. A couple other places where this is confirmed. So, Romans, Paul writing this. Romans chapter 13. We're going to, after we get through the book of Revelation, we'll, we'll jump into the book of Romans on Wednesdays at some point, maybe get into the summer. Romans chapter 13. And verse number 8. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And, and all any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. But Paul, who is an expert in law, was raised and, and trained in the law, said, look, you want to fulfill the law, here's the deal. Learn how to love right. When you love right, you fulfill the whole thing. Another one, James, the brother of Jesus, leader of the early church, James chapter 2. And verse number 8. James chapter 2, verse number 8. If you really fulfill, now watch what James calls it, the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So James He's saying, look, you want to know that the, he calls it the royal law. I like that, the royal law. The royal law is love. That we are people who are growing in love in our relationship with God. And in turn, he's teaching us this royal law of how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Here's, here's another one, John chapter 13, verse 31. There's, there's so much we could do, so many places we could go. John chapter 13, Gospel of John. And let's see, where am I at? Verse 31. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet 
A little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, <coughs> excuse me, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now Jesus is setting the whole thing up right there. The love that God in flesh has shown towards us is how we are to learn to love those that are around us. Can't get away from it now. I mean, we are, we are in a certain way, I want to say, boxed into this. There's no way of saying, well, the Christian life is, is no. Love. We must learn how to love in the way that Jesus has loved up. And, and that, then what he does is, after this, he goes to the cross and lays down his life as a ransom for us. Amen? Notice what he says after that then. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How many of y'all consider yourself a disciple of Jesus? Raise them up. Let me see. If you love one another, if you have love for one another, if you love one another, that's how they know you're a disciple of Jesus. You see that? You think about Christianity in our world today, the church as a whole. What are Christians known by, or what marks us out? I hope it's love. It shouldn't be in the first place, the first thing, what we're for, what we're against, what we don't like, what we're standing up for, what we're standing up against. Okay. The first measure of how the world knows whether or not you are a disciple of Jesus is by how you love. Because all the things you say you're for and the things you say you're against and the things that you're standing up for, if you don't love, those things end up coming across or being lived out in a way that doesn't line up with the gospel to bring people into the gospel. Yes, as Christians, you'll be for things. Yes, as Christians, you'll be against things. But if they're not known by love first, those things will come across in a way they should not be coming across. How many know what I'm getting at? We are known by our love. This is the Christian life. You, you'll ne listen, you'll never get to loving your neighbor the way you should unless you get this in your mind right now. I mean, grab hold of this to know that the world must know me because of how I love. If you can grasp that, and knowing that I've got to learn the love of God, and I've got to learn to love people as Jesus loves me. If you can grasp that, then everything, you, everything else you do in the public square will come in the way it should. Okay? Where Christianity gets way out of the whack in how we integrate and, and, and deal with the public square and what we do in society comes because we lack love. It often happens a lot. So, so what is love? See, love is how we view other people. Love is how we respond to people. 
Love is our disposition towards others. Love motivates. Love guides our actions. See, see, in love, there's certainly no hate. Love does not categorize. Love does not show favoritism. Love does not condemn. Love does not condone truth. It is, or condone, condone sin, but it is the avenue for truth. See, the word that you find behind the English in all these places, and there's different, I think there's four different Greek words for love. The word is agape. Another way you could say brotherly love, goodwill, benevolence, a willful delight in another. This is not love that you find in yourself. This is a love of God that is grown in you. It's born in you of him. It's grown in you through him and then translates to how you live. You're not going to love your neighbor as yourself the way God intends you to with your love. It's going to be because God is doing a work in your life. And that's extremely important to know that. So, Why, do you, why, why should you love people? I, maybe answer this question before we talk one specific instance of what a neighbor is. Why should you love people? You should love people because you're saved. You should love people because you have been converted. You should love people because God has saved your soul. That's why you love people. If you add anything else to the end of that sentence, then, then it turns into some sort of a catch-22 of why we love people. We love people because we have been saved, period. So watch what happens if you don't think that way. Now, now in general, we know that because we, we love our neighbor, we should tell them about Jesus because that's the most important thing, Right? But some people do this. Well, I told my neighbor about Jesus, and they rejected it, so therefore I don't really need to love them anymore. Because your love was a catch-22. I loved them in as far as I tried to get them saved, but once they rejected that, then my business is over. I can wash my hands of it, shake the dust off my feet, and go to the next town. You know, you love your neighbor because you have been converted. And whether or not they ever are saved doesn't matter to your love. You see what I'm getting at? So our love, in other words, is not conditional upon the actions of other people. God loved you unconditionally. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was no condition to it. Now, there are certain aspects of who God is that only can happen in our life because we receive and respond to him, amen? But God's love for us does not change based on what you do, and I'm thankful for that. He's teaching you. He wants you to live in a way that is the same way towards your neighbor. That whether or not your neighbor is saved, whether or not they respond to the gospel message, no matter how they're acting, no matter what they're doing, no matter how much they are in sin, it doesn't change how much you love them. 
because you love because you have been saved, not dependent upon anything they are. No catch-22 there. God doesn't play that game with us, does he? Thank goodness. And we must learn, again, to be like him in what we do. That we love our neighbor as ourself, and we learn to love him as ourself because we are learning to receive God's love into ourself. It changes us. Absolutely reworks how we live in this world. So, so when you see... Uh, these passages of scripture that, that are just like, wow, you know, uh, the great passage of love, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and it's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It keeps no record of wrong. And all, and all, it goes all the way down to saying love never fails. That's not talking about love in a married relationship. That's talking about love and how we're supposed to live. How can I live that way? Is it possible? Yeah, because God's changing me. You look at that and say, I'm not sure I can live that way, but you can. Because if God can do anything, then he can change you to be that way. So when I, when, when I love my neighbor, my love is patient. My love is kind. It doesn't envy of what my neighbor has or does. And it doesn't boast in what I have. It's not cruel. It's not self-centered. It, when my neighbor wrongs me over and over again, it keeps no record of wrong. It delights in the truth all the way down. And you know what? Because I love my neighbor, it will never fail. In other words, there's always an opportunity of the gospel. Always. Because love doesn't fail. So that is why that lawyer said, hold on a second, trying to justify himself. Well, who is my neighbor? Because if I know if I have, I have to love my neighbor. Scriptures say it. But, but can I now qualify who my neighbor actually is? Can, can, I, can I actually come to a place where this person, this group of people really are not my neighbor? I love my neighbor, but who really is my neighbor? That, that's what this lawyer was getting at with Jesus. So we'll, we'll get into the parable of the Good Samaritan next week. But let's just start right here with this. Who is my neighbor? How about we start on ground level? Because I think sometimes when we talk about our neighbor and we get, we get so big in that concept, and it should be big in this concept, we never apply it very practically. So who is my neighbor? Let's put it this way. The person that literally lives next door to you. That's your neighbor. The person that lives across the road from you, that is your neighbor. Or the house next to them. Or, the, or you, can, you can walk down your street. And some of you live out in the country, so whatever. But walk down your street. Who's on my street? That's my neighbors. Literally. I mean, actually, in a literal concept, that's my neighbors. I must love them in the same regard that God is teaching me how to love. That is the greatest way to live the Christian life so I can inherit eternal life. Now, I don't know who lives next to you, who lives across the road from you or, or whatever. I don't know. I don't know if you're in good relations with them or not. Maybe you can say it like this. Where do you work? 
let's say you work some sort of assembly line job. Who stands next to you? That's your neighbor. Very literal application. That's my neighbor. Now, you understand, uh, Christians, we're, we're here together as a body. It's just a given that we're supposed to love each other because we're one body. See, this is getting outside of this right here to, to the neighborhood. This is to the neighborhood. The neighborhood is a place where Christians are known by their love. So who lives next to you? Do you love them with patience, kindness, keeping no record of wrongs? Do you love them in a way because Jesus is the most important thing? At some point, somehow, some way, the conversation of Jesus is going to come up. You see, see what I mean? It is the way that we live. Some of you, you consider your neighborhood your Facebook page. Lord, help us. But anyways, if, if it is, let's say that's the greatest place we interact with people. Okay, that's your life. Do you love your neighbor as yourself on there? Or is that a place because you can detach and put it down while I'm like this other thing over here, but I'll get back to love when I'm away from it. And it turns into this outlet of, of just this junk. The neighborhood. God has called us to go there to be known by our love there. See, how do you know that in the context of your situation, you are the only example of Jesus that they will know? This is what it means to be a light in the world. If, if, if you want to say our light is powered by what? Our light is powered by love. The electricity that makes it go is, is love. You may be the only example that mean person has to seeing that someone will love them and keep no record of wrongs in spite of what they do. You may be the only example of Christ-like love that they have. You know that? Maybe the only one. You may be the only one that loves them in such a way that you'll take time to share the gospel with them. Even if they told you no. Just don't want to hear it. You, you ever go, go, go we've done door to door and some places have those things on door. All right, don't, don't sell me anything. I already know about Jesus. And they put this thing on there, you know, stay away from me. They may be like that. But you may be the only person then that after that they say no, that you consistently still live the Christian life and love to them. And they see the example of what Jesus would be. You may be the only one. Our impact is much beyond what we understand. Sometimes we gauge our impact. I told somebody about, about Jesus. They got saved. Hey, we had another one in the kingdom. I hope they come to church. And we kind of move on. No, it's your everyday presence in a lost world that they begin to know us by our love, that is the consistent light of the gospel. Did you know how many people resist the gospel, but because the consistent presence of Christ-likeness in their life eventually come back to it? it happens all the time. But if you shut down after the first time and you don't care no more and you did your business and you washed your hands, then you may be the only person. 
You see what I mean? That we learn how to live loving our neighbor as ourselves. And it's got to start with who's right next to me. When I turn around in front of my house, who is there? That's my neighbor. When I go to my job, my workplace, whatever you do for a job, when you turn around and look who's there, that's my neighbor. You keep it, you keep it very in a context of your acquaintances, your relationships, and the people that you know. You show up at a family reunion. That's another one. Sometimes it's like that. <laughs> you, you look around, everybody there at that family reunion, love my neighbor as myself. Lord Jesus, help me. Amen? See, the consistency of God's love is the consistency that we must learn. The faithfulness of God's love is the faithfulness that we must learn. And you will find yourself, I'm telling you, guarantee it, you will find yourself in moments where you're like, I don't want to be like Jesus right here. I don't, but you're called to, and he's asking it of you, because it's in those moments. Listen, ultimately, yeah, guys, you can bring communion. Ultimately, ultimately, people see the fullness of a God's love in the moments that they least deserve it. You know that? Ultimately. God's love is shown to a person in the fullness because Christ upon the cross is the clearest revelation of who God is. Do you hear that? Everybody hear what I just said? Christ upon the cross is the clearest revelation of who God is. And it's in the moments when you want to act the least Christ-like is the moments that the fullness of Christ-like love will be shown to that person. Amen? Now, I have to pray to be like that. I ask for it. I ask for, for the Spirit to grow. I pray, help me, Holy Spirit. Because I know this is not, well, I've been saved for a while. I go to church, I'm my body. I just, it's just, just going to be there. Okay, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a process of change that happens, but ask for it. Lord, grow me in love. And you'll find the actions and responses of your life will start to change over in such a way. Oh, my goodness. Who would have thought that my response five years ago would have been that? Amen? Christ-like love starts start to come through. All right. So, Christ upon a cross. Because of love, sacrifice, the clearest revelation of who God is, that that... He would reach out to us and die for us in the moments of being lost and essentially being enemies of God. This is a reminder of that this morning. So as you come, if you want to, to grab the elements this morning, I want you to come down thinking about the love that caused Jesus to come and the love that Cause and be obedient even to death on a cross. Meditate on that love and, and just ask him as we partake today, Lord, grow that love in me. Amen? So, so if you would, come, if you come to the middle and then filter around the outside.
come pick up the elements today. So if you're watching on live stream and you don't have a grape juice and a bread sitting there, grab something. You partake with us. During uh, when we were off church a little bit because of the pandemic, um, they were taking communion live a live stream every Sunday and not long before service I realized that nobody got stuff prepared for Pastor Dosick so I went hurry to find something and I found a bottle of grape juice and it was like way expired so I didn't think I'd do that to him <laughs> closest thing I found was Dr. Pepper and he <laughs> I forgot to tell him it was Dr. Pepper <laughs> Anyways, that was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> afterwards, he's like, what in the world? <laughs> it, it, your heart is right. It works. Amen. <laughs> oh, my. Amazing love. How can it be? Amazing love. With that amazing grace. How sweet sound of amazing grace for, for our lives. Amen. What can we do without it? Lord, we thank you for the amazing love that you have come into this world to die on a cross in our place for our sins. That your body was broken and, and your blood was shed so we can be forgiven. We thank you for your love. I pray, Lord, that you grow us in the same kind of love. That, that in everything that we do, there's a thought that goes through our mind, that something grabs hold in our spirit, the Holy Spirit. That in all that we do, that would be known by our love, and love infused by you, this agape love the love of God. And I pray as we partake this morning, this is the process that we are in, in our lives and as a church, that we are people who are truly lights in this world. Thank you for saving us. And I pray there is nothing that comes forth from our lives that will stop us from the ability to be that light that others need. So as we partake of the, of the bread this morning, we thank you for the love of bodily sacrifice. Let's partake together. And Lord, the shedding of the blood for the remission of our sins, that you have loved us so much in our sinful state that you came to reclaim us.
that you loved us so much in our sinful state that you came to save us. We thank you for your blood and what it means for our lives and our everyday living in you. Partake of the cup this morning. So if you were, just raise your hands up and thank him for his love. Recount once again what his love has done for you. And allow your imagination to be grabbed hold of the fact that you can love in the same way. We thank you for that today, Jesus. Incredible, amazing love. Unconditional love. A love that caused you to reach out to us time and time again. A love that caused you to be faithful in all that you do. I thank you for that, Jesus. Grow that love in me, Lord. I want to love like you. I want to love like you in everything that I do. Lord, Lord, correct me, convict me, change me. I want to love like you. For your glory, for your name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. Well, be blessed as you go today. If you have prayer needs, please come down. We'll pray for you before you head out. If not, Wednesday night, the book of Revelation, come back for part number two. We love you all. We believe in all of you. Have a very blessed week.